Welcome to Fair Talk, where we set out to provide enduring discussions on contemporary topics relevant to our economy, with particular emphasis on food, agriculture, and the environment. My name is Brady Deaton, Jr. of the Department of Food, Agriculture, and Resource Economics at the University of Guelph. I'll be your host. Today, my guest is Jeremy Leonard. Jeremy is a research director at the Institute for Research on Public Policy. He and his co-authors, Mohamed Shakiri and Richard Gray, have just recently released a study titled Dutch Disease or Failure to Compete, a Diagnosis of Canada's Manufacturing Woes. Jeremy, welcome to Fair Talk. Good to be here, Brady. Jeremy, before we start, talk to me a little bit about the institute uh, that has published this study. Uh, Sure, I'd be pleased to. The Institute for Research on Public Policy is a think tank. It's a national think tank based in Montreal, Quebec. Uh, We're just celebrating our 40th anniversary this year. Um, We were created in 1972 as an independent think tank. Uh, We don't have members and we uh, we do not have supporters. We're supported by an endowment fund, which basically allows us to uh, produce studies that are are evidence-based and uh, try not to take uh, ideological or political sides in debates. Our role is really to inform and spark debate, uh, pose the questions before we come up with the answers. Um, And we study a diverse uh, array of issues, including economic issues like the one we're going to talk about today, as well as more social issues like immigration, aging, and a whole host of other issues. All right, and I should say that we will uh, link the listeners up to your site so that they can download this study if they want to uh, to read it more fully. But let's start off just by unpacking your question, the, the paper's question, Dutch disease or failure to compete. What generally is prompting this question? Well, what's prompted the question is uh, is two facts uh, over the past several years that are undeniable. Uh, one is the fact that the Canadian dollar has strengthened considerably over the last five to six years, going from about 60 to 65 cents to parity today. That's a fact. Uh, another fact is that the manufacturing sector uh, has been shrinking in Canada over the past five, six, seven years. That shrinkage started happening well before the recession, and it happened at the same time as this appreciation of the currency. And so there's a natural question because the issue of the Dutch disease really is just that, is that the one appreciation of the currency causes the other problems in manufacturing. So we're clearly seeing these two things happening at the same time, and we thought it was important to sort of dig a little bit deeper on the question, is one really causing the other, or are they both happening at the same time for some other reason that we haven't taken account of? One of the things that I was trying to work through in, in kind of preparing for this podcast was a better understand of, of exactly this term, the, the Dutch disease. When When you first hear it, it sounds like it's something that's damaging to the economy overall or having some kind of miserating effect on the economy. But in reading through the lid, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this, it seems more like an effect than, than a disease. What, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, well, I mean, the term Dutch disease, uh, it, it comes from Holland, as the name suggests, and uh, it's that uh, the, the Dutch, uh, where there was discoveries of natural gas off the North Sea, off the coast of Holland, and that created tremendous demand for those energy resources. And that energy demand can be a good thing for an economy because it brings in dollars, it increases exports, and a whole host of other things. But one of the things it also does is that the people who are interested in buying these resources 
resources are using Dutch currency to do it. And it caused an appreciation in the Dutch currency, which uh, did raise the cost of exports to uh, Dutch manufacturing exporters. And in fact, the Dutch manufacturing sector did decline considerably. So you could argue that the term Dutch disease is really an effect of something which can, at the base, have some positive effects. And so since then, that the Dutch disease has come to be a convenient shorthand to say, It's the exchange rate that's causing problems in the manufacturing sector. And in some sense, in Canada, you can say the same thing about the development of the oil sands. People can have different opinions about uh, various aspects of it. But one thing that's absolutely clear is that it has brought uh, very large amounts of money and economic resources into the country from the many uh, other countries who are demanding these energy resources. And that still leaves us with the question that we, were, that we try to address in this study, which is to what extent does that boom and the, those economic good times for the energy sector by force mean economic bad times for the manufacturing sector. And that was really the goal of the study. Right. So it, it's not, is it bad for the economy as a whole? Your, your, your paper, as I read, is really focused on this effect on the particular sector, in this case, manufacturing. So is there a negative relationship between a resource boom and manufacturing output? And that's really what's going to drive the research that we're going to talk about. Talk to me a little bit about the theory, uh, the abstraction that drives the the argument for there being a negative effect between a resource boom and manufacturing output. Yeah, sure. And I, I touched on it a little bit, but we can go into it in a little bit more uh, detail. The, the issue really boils down to the effect that there are some goods in the economy that are tradable and some that are not tradable. And what happens when you have an, a boom of any sort, whether it's a natural resource boom or any other kind of boom, is you have a sector where there's very, very rapidly growing demand for services and production. Uh, that tends to bid up wages because the more the higher demand is, you need to hire more workers. And, uh, and anyone who's studied Economics 101 knows that in those conditions, wages are going to rise and they can rise rapidly. So you'll have upward wage pressure in, in the booming sector, which is then going to trickle over into other sectors because people will be drawn into the energy sector. That'll mean fewer people wanting to work in the non-energy sectors. And so the main result is you have this upward pressure on wages. Now, this upward pressure on wages causes problems in industries that are exporting goods because their costs are going to go up and they will not be able to raise their prices. And essentially what it causes is a, an increase in the terms of trade, which causes problems for exporters. And we see this is manifested itself in a rising currency. So, so that's sort of a, a very complicated way of explaining it, but it really has to do, it's much more than just about dollars floating around the economy and whether the central bank is, is creating too much money or not creating enough or issues like that. It really has to do with some pretty fundamental economic effects that come about from this resource boom. And so we know the economic forces at play, and the question then becomes what's driving those economic forces? And there are a number of things that, that can affect that. But that's sort of the theory behind it. It's very well developed, and it's can look at it in terms of uh, how flexible sectors are, in other words, how much labor mobility there is in sectors and things like that. And 
invariably what you find is that there's a possibility that the manufacturing and trade intensive sectors will be adversely affected, but it's not a necessity. In other words, you can certainly envision scenarios where you could actually see a resource boom and you wouldn't necessarily see an adverse effect. So given that the theory is uh, sort of uh, doesn't give you a definite answer on uh, whether a resource boom is going to cause problems in manufacturing, we decided we needed to look at the actual numbers in Canada to try to answer that question. All right, so let's get into this. I mean, as you pointed out earlier, we Canada has had, uh, energy sector has had, experienced a boom. Oil production's increased. Gas has increased. Canada net exports have increased. So we've got the first part. Talk to me about how you examine then how this affects manufacturing. Yeah, well, what we did was we, we basically did a two-stage process. The first thing we wanted to get a handle on was to what extent – is the strong Canadian dollar being driven by energy prices? Because there are many, many things that can affect the exchange rate besides energy prices. It can be prices of other commodities. It can be the stance of monetary policy. For instance, if interest rates are higher in Canada than they are in the United States, as they have been for quite a few years, that's going to encourage investors to invest in Canada, which will also put upward pressure on the exchange rate. So the first stage was to examine the extent to which energy prices are associated with high exchange rates. And the answer is that there is a uh, there is a linkage there. But the interesting finding there was that it's not just energy prices that are driving this exchange rate. It's also prices of other commodities like wheat, other commodities that Canada produces like industrial metals. So there is a partial effect. So stage one was simply to establish what piece of the strengthening of the Canadian dollar could be attributed to rising energy prices. Before we get to the second stage, let's, first stage, you're, you're basically just saying, what is the relationship between the Canada and U.S. exchange rate and energy prices so, um, after, after and controlling for a, a bunch of other factors? That's right. Um, what time period are, are we talking about that you're looking at here? Yeah, we looked at the uh, 1992 to 2007 period, wanted to look at a longer period than just the boom to get a sense of trends that were happening earlier on. And what we found was actually that, that the effect of energy prices on the exchange rate was about the same and possibly even a little bit less than that for other commodities. So that to us was an interesting uh, – That is an interesting – interesting observation. The other thing that we didn't talk about, but other researchers have looked at is the fact that, you know, there are two things that drive the Canada-U.S. exchange rate. One is the strength of the Canadian dollar, but the other is, quite frankly, the weakness of the U.S. dollar, which may have little to do with what's going on in terms of resource prices. And we cite in our paper some work that's been done. It's not published yet, but basically indicating that there's a piece of the strength of the Canadian dollar that really has to do with the weakness of the U.S. dollar related to the fiscal and economic problems south of the border. So all that to say that the energy piece of the uh, appreciation in the Canadian dollar is a lot smaller than the total appreciation that we've seen. Another way of saying that is that even if we had not had such an energy boom, we probably still would have seen a strengthening of the Canada-U.S. dollar for other reasons. So I think that's an, an important observation to make, is that we can't just attribute this 40 to 50 percent appreciation in the Canadian dollar 100 percent to energy, because that's not what the data tells us. Yeah, this seems be some evidence against the argument that there's a petrol currency here. I mean, you're saying, if I understand you correctly, that 
energy prices affect the exchange rate, but so do non-energy commodities and other factors, and relatively more so than these this energy price effect on the exchange rate. That's right. That's absolutely right. And it comes down to the the fact that you can, uh, you know, we many of us have seen these charts where you plot the, the Canadian dollar against the oil prices and you get a nice match. Uh, well, the, you know, the fact of the matter is you can actually you can plot it against a whole host of different price indices and you can you can get a similar match. So, so I mean, one of the points of doing this research was to try to, to take all of these factors into consideration and, and ask ourselves, well, how much is the one effect when controlling for the other? It would be just as incorrect to call the Canadian dollar a petrodollar as it would to be to call it a a nickel dollar or a wheat dollar or any other commodity you might like to call it. So again, stage one was really a kind of cautionary tale in the sense that, yes, we, we do see this positive link, as the Dutch disease theory suggests, but it, we can't uh, draw the conclusion that that energy prices are driving exchange rates and by extension, uh, weakness in manufacturing. All right. So that, that takes us to the second step. So if you've established some effect between energy prices and, um, and the exchange rate, but there's a lot of other things that are affecting it, and energy prices are a smaller, perhaps, than expected driver. And now we're moving to the second step. Okay. Right. Because the, the, really the ultimate question we want to know is to what extent have the energy-induced strengthening of the dollar adversely affected manufacturing. So the way we go about doing that is we actually looked at 80 different manufacturing industries because we wanted to get down at a, at a pretty fine level of detail because you lose a lot of interesting differences and contrasts if you look at the sector as a whole. And so we looked at 80 different industries and for each of those industries, we, we essentially estimated outputs using a model that, you know, the output uh, estimation models have certain standard elements to them. But we added this energy price-induced appreciation of the exchange rate that we calculated from stage one. That was one key element that went into that statistical estimation. The second one that we put in, which was very important, was the trends in output in the corresponding industry in the United States. Now, why did we do that? We did that because we wanted to kind of use the United States as a control country, as a country that is not a, a, a large energy uh, exporter. It certainly wasn't over the time period we looked at. With the notion being is that if the Dutch disease, if this exchange rate induced adverse effect on manufacturers if that's really the explanation, then we shouldn't see kind of similar trends in output in manufacturing in the United States because uh, they are not afflicted with this Dutch disease. And so uh, when I talk about the results, I'll talk about why that's important. But it was important for us to have a kind of control case to say, you know, how is, how is uh, output evolving differently in Canada relative to the United States? So anyway, we, we looked at all of these 80 industries. It was quite an arduous task, <laughs> crunching all the numbers. Um, and Let me just say something. Uh, in, in, for those of, of you listening, in their paper, they actually do a great job of providing a lot of data and a lot of tables that actually allow you to look at the different industries and and the various effects on them. So um, – that's something to that that's really well done that I know you're not going to be able to go in details in this discussion. Yeah, and really it's because the nuts and bolts of the detailed uh, results are are not uh, as interesting as kind of the overall 
fundamental results of the question we're after, which is what is essentially this this variable we're looking at, you know, this this kind of Dutch disease term, if you will, you know, is it is it significant? Does it is it statistically significant in these equations? And and the answer was obviously nuanced, but I guess a little bit perhaps to our surprise, given the popular discourse about the Dutch disease, is that uh, the majority of industries that we looked at really didn't exhibit a strong adverse effect of this energy-induced increase in the exchange rate. What do I mean by that? I mean, that even if you accept that energy prices have had an upward influence on the exchange rate, um, that has not generally been associated with declining manufacturing output once you control for other factors affecting output. Now, it seems a bit counterintuitive because, and that's something that we've kind of heard in the political uh, discussion uh, in recent weeks, is that, well, well, how can that possibly be? Because we've seen the dollar has strengthened and manufacturing output has declined. So how can you possibly say that the two aren't linked? And the answer comes back to this, uh, this notion of the control variable in the United States, because there are other factors that have happened uh, that have been going on over the past, uh, during the 2000s, that have been at the same time as the resource boom. And the most important of these is really the rise of China and other low-cost producers in global value chains. And in fact, I mean, most listeners may not know this, but China has actually passed Canada as the United States' number one source of imports into the United States. And this competition is not just happening in traditionally in T-shirts and, and toys and other things that we've known the Chinese have been exporting to us for, for decades. They're moving into higher value uh, industries like machinery, like fabricated metals, things feeding into the uh, automotive sector. And so they're actually starting to compete head-to-head with uh, Canadian exporters in U.S. markets. This factor, this kind of, I'll call it just the globalization of manufacturing, um, has actually been a much more important negative effect on not only Canadian manufacturers, but American manufacturers as well. So what our results tell us, they tell us that there are certain industries that have indeed been adversely affected by the exchange rate. The other industries where we don't see an adverse effect from the Dutch disease, these industries are still having problems, but they're much more related to trying to compete with the South Koreas and the Chinas and the Brazils and the other emerging markets of the world, not only within Canada, but more importantly in uh, markets where Canada exports, most notably the U.S. market. Are there any characteristics of those industries that were negatively affected by the exchange rate? Do they have any characteristics that are worth noting? Yeah, well, I'll just highlight a couple, uh, two extremes, really, because the the ones that had the largest negative Dutch disease coefficients in absolute terms were the clothing and textile industries, as well as leather products, which is basically mainly uh, footwear and handbags. And this kind of comes back to uh, what I was saying earlier. These are these are industries for which there is not much uh, product differentiation. They, they're sort of commoditized industries. Um, I like to just use the example, you know, a T-shirt is a T-shirt is a T-shirt, and there's not really a lot of opportunities to diversify and, and add value to your product. 
And secondly, these uh, industries are very, very uh, trade intensive. They have a very high proportion of their product goes overseas, and they also have a very high import penetration rate. So they, it's sort of not surprising that they would be most affected by the exchange rate and least able to adapt to it, I guess is the way I would put it. So, but these industries, you, you have to remember, you know, textiles, apparels, and leather together probably make up, uh, they certainly make up no more than 5% of Canadian manufacturing. So they're relatively small sectors. The other sector that was kind of uh, interesting was actually a piece of the chemical industry, the pharmaceutical sector, uh, which also showed a, um, a significant negative Dutch disease effect. And it's hard to know why this would be the case because, uh, you know, uh, pharmaceuticals are often proprietary products. And so they're not really, they may not have direct competitors. And it may be that, you know, a lot of these companies are global. And so, you know, they may have moved production around, moved production out of Canada. That's that's just speculation on my part. But what's the reason I, I touch on that is because it's uh, pharmaceuticals is a pretty high value added industry. It does a lot of research and development and uh, in general contributes to, uh, you know, innovation, certainly in the medical field, but but also in, in other endeavors as well. And I think that's of some concern because, um, you know, that's one of the things that people worry about with the Dutch disease is that if there are certain sectors in manufacturing that are very innovation intensive, that contribute to benefits in, in terms of advancement of knowledge, things that might be beneficial to other sectors, you know, if those sectors are declining because of the high exchange rate, you know, then there's some reason for concern. So those are kind of uh, two examples of sectors where we didn't find um, uh, statistical significance. And if I can just go on to a couple that where we didn't, uh, which was actually sure, sure, that'd be great. Because the the auto sector was one. I mean, that's that kind of has, often is held up as a poster child. Mm-hmm. Of this here is the here is the prime example of what the strong dollar is doing to Canadian manufacturing. Well, actually, when you look at the numbers, you see that the Dutch disease effect really isn't there. It's uh, it's not statistically significant. And why is this the case? It, it comes back to what I was just saying about about increase in competition. You know, because the the interesting thing is that we've seen a, a decline in the Canadian automotive sector over the 2000s. Uh, we've also seen decline in the U.S. automotive sector over that same period, which kind of illustrates the point that the problems in the auto sector are not unique to Canada and they're not caused entirely by the high Canadian dollar. What they're being caused by is companies like Kia and Hyundai. I mean, Kia and Hyundai, they weren't even on the radar screen 15 years ago. And they have become, you know, pretty big players in, in the automotive market here in North America. So that's, that's just to illustrate that some of our sort of common uh, perceptions of how the exchange rate is affecting various industries really aren't quite in agreement with what the, what the empirical evidence tells us. So when, when we return back to your, your paper's title, Dutch Disease or Failure to Compete, I'm reading your results and you tell me if I've got the story that, that you're telling correct, that there are some but not most industries in the manufacturing sector that have been affected and perhaps slightly, but most are not. And so the, the manufacturing woes that Canada's experience are – largely a failure to compete and not the result of Dutch disease. Is that? 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's a fair way of putting it. And I think, uh, you know, I, I think we have to be fair to say that, uh, you know, when you add up all of the uh, industries for which we saw a negative Dutch disease, it's about one quarter of the manufacturing sector that has been adverse, significantly adversely affected by the high exchange rate. Um, you know, whether one quarter is large or small is a matter of it's a matter of taste, but that's what the numbers tell us. From our perspective, uh, I think uh, what that tells me is that if we want to address the bigger problems of manufacturing, which are real, and I mean, I, I guess I want to emphasize that in this discussion, is that, and I said it at the outset, you know, the manufacturing sector has shrunk in Canada mm-hmm. uh, quite significantly since about 2005. You know, that is a real problem. And But the issue is that if we want to resolve that problem, we need to have the diagnosis of what's causing it right. And our results certainly show that the majority of that is being caused by something other than the exchange rate. And as I was saying earlier, that something is a failure to compete, which is coming both from increasing competitive pressures from abroad, but it's also, quite frankly, uh, simply reflecting the fact that productivity growth in manufacturing, which is really what you need to stay cost competitive, has been very, very sluggish over the past 10 to 15 years. Now, just to give you a couple of data points, in the United States, productivity has increased by the order of 2 to 3% a year. In Canada, we're basically flatlining. And these numbers don't sound like much, but when you compound them over 10 or 15 years, you just realize that there's no way to be cost competitive unless you can make the investments, change the way you do things so that you can become more productive and that you can compete, quite frankly, uh, with a dollar at at any level it might be, whether it's at 80 cents or parity or uh, anywhere in between. Do you have any policy suggestions? There are a couple in the in the paper. I mean, it's. Uh, I, I think the the first thing to preface is that what shouldn't be done, um, and this really kind of talks to some of the stuff that's been talked about in uh, the political discourse. Our study shows that it's really not an either or zero sum game in terms of the well being or the boom of the oil sands and the. the challenges in manufacturing. So to frame the debate that way and to organize policies around the notion that if only we could keep the energy boom in control or maybe maybe reduce it, that would solve manufacturing's problems. That, that just isn't borne out by the data. So that would be, uh, that would be something that I would not be in favor of, uh, nor would I be in favor of trying to manipulate the exchange rate, even if, even if it's, you could. Uh, one, I don't think it's uh, easy to do. Secondly, I think it would be counterproductive. And thirdly, it really would not address the core issue. So we get back to this issue of productivity and innovation. And, you know, this has been a tough nut to crack for policymakers for years. One issue is connecting businesses, especially small businesses, to universities and other sources of potential innovation. There are many, many firms in Canada who do not do any research and development in-house because they don't have the resources to do so. So creating networks to connect them with best practices is one thing to do. But a second kind of more broad strategic direction is to think about increasing competitive pressures within certain industries. You know, there, there are still many industries in Canada that are critically important in terms of innovation that are protected. Look at uh, telecom 
as one, although the changes are sort of uh, in the works there. Um, air travel, the financial sector, uh, there are very high barriers to entry. These are all very important sectors, and innovation in these sectors can have uh, implications for productivity and innovation in other sectors. So increasing competitive pressures generally in the economy. And then on, on a related point, it all comes back to competition, is, is sort of broadening market opportunities for Canadian firms. And this is something that the government has started to do, kind of diversifying potential markets. There are a lot of different reasons to want to do this. One of them is obviously to tap faster growing markets. But a second effect that I think is just as important is it puts Canadian firms in contact with firms that have very different cost structures, that have very different perhaps management styles, techniques of production, and, and other differences, which I think can sort of be fertile ground to, to get Canadian companies to think about, you know, well, maybe there are maybe there are different ways of doing things. Maybe we can do things more cost effectively, and we, we didn't know we could do it because we never really had to. So competition, I mean, if necessity is the mother of invention, competition is the mother of innovation and, by extension, productivity. And so I think, I think in terms of a manufacturing strategy, uh, the government would be much better served to focus on those issues rather than focusing on how do we, keep, how do we try to control the exchange rate or the development of the energy sector as a manufacturing strategy. Jeremy, thank you very much for taking the time to speak to us today. I really appreciate – I really learned a lot, and thanks for the time that you and the co-authors took to write the article. Oh, I appreciate being here, Brady. It's a pleasure. Thanks for joining us at Fair Talk. We hope you will continue to check our website for updates and the latest podcasts.